Hello, everyone. My name is Evan Kinney. I'm a managing director here at George Smith Partners. Welcome to the George Smith Partners video podcast. Today, we're welcoming Kelly Farrell. She's a principal at Gensler and the co-global leader of the residential practice area. That is a mouthful, and I will not be trying it's a, again. It's a bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, welcoming here today, my partner in crime here, Mr. David Pascal. Hello, I'm David Pascal, Senior Vice President here at George Smith Partners. And then Kelly, maybe you can start with giving us a little bit of your background, and then we'll introduce the topic today and jump right into it. Yeah, so um, Kelly Farrell again, great to meet everybody. Um, I'm a Gensler in Los Angeles, and our firm and our practice really has been dedicated to figuring out um, how to solve housing at a lot of different scales. Everywhere from permanent supportive to attainable to market to luxury, and we've been leading the conversation on office to residential and how to bring downtowns and CBDs back to life. That's great. So uh, obviously the topic today is very apropos. There's a lot of press floating around about office in general, mm -hmm. the asset class, um, what's happening in some of the major CBDs and, and also with some of the more suburban office as well. So we thought it would be interesting for our audience, which is largely real estate sponsors, to, to kind of dive into what does it mean to convert a building from an office building to a residential building. So we thought no better person to, to help us figure that out than, than Kelly, and we're really glad to have her here today. So before we get into it, like, we have some questions here for you, Kelly, and, and you know, I know you have some slides that you'll put up and, yep. and whatnot, but before we get into this, I think it'd be just you know, a really easy question. Um, how, I like to know, like, how at Gensler, how long have you been looking at this, and and what has the trend internally been? How much, you know, how has the talk gone in the shop, and, and what are you seeing in deals? Yeah, so maybe I'll maybe I'll start where we started. So um, before COVID hit, Calgary as a city had a struggling downtown. They had massive office vacancy. Um, they were trying to figure out what to do with it. This is before the question of, you know, do you come back to the office? We didn't know we were going to be home for two years at that point. So um, a partner of mine, Stephen Painter, started saying there's got to be a better way to look at these buildings. Rather than every single one of them being like, oh, I don't know, let's take a look. Could we be more pragmatic? Could we be more systematic in how we reviewed them so that we could help cities incentivize our clients and help our clients find the right buildings to take a look at? And so we've probably taken a look at, I don't know, seven or 800 of these buildings now. Um, and I'd say we have a pretty good appetite about what's working and what's not. The, the talk in the shop is interesting. So um, we generally get somebody who calls and says, hey, I have an asset or I have an option to look at an asset. Right. Uh, can, you, can you do a quick study? So we, we've got a, um, a, a tool that we will run the building through and fairly efficiently in a few days be able to say yeah hey it's a good one or eh, like it's got some things we should talk about either it's not very efficient or wow if you have a bad office building in a bad location it's probably not going to make a great residential building in a bad location right so we'll look through those things i would say when we started a lot of people said thank you so much for the study i've still got tenants <laughs> and now the phone's ringing and the conversation's going hey remember that study that you did for us yeah. What would it take for you to make that reality? Um, because we don't see this asset performing as an office again. We see this uh, asset needing a new life. So so there was an article on the front page of CoStar the other day 
said one in three office buildings in major North American cities could be ripe for multifamily conversion. So is that something you would agree with, that that bold statement? Or yeah, how does that pretty much. I mean, we say like three out of 10, so 30%, like we're, we've got a delta of three. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, frankly, the building is only half the equation. The other half of the right. equation is, you know, what's your basis going to be? What are you going to buy it for? Because we have to do a lot of work to these buildings to bring them to their new use. Right. So it's going to take, you know, a, a, some kind of capitulation on the part of sellers that bought it for X in 2015 or 1995. Or know. even worse, in 2020. And we're seeing there those go. transactions go now, right? Mm-hmm. We just saw a few, building tra- few buildings trade in downtown L.A. where they were severely discounted after 2019 and 2020 pricing because they don't have tenancy. Right. So let's start at the top. Like, you got a building. What do you look for first? Like, how does yeah. zoning and regulations, building codes, impact this convert the conversion process? And what do you look out for very much on the front end? And yeah, and I would add, like, what are the attributes you're really looking for in building physical and then location? I know that's a lot to chew, but that that's, that's okay. Kind of we can we can we like can build that. Into. We can build that. Yeah. So on the front end, uh, legislation is trying to move pretty quickly throughout North America to make conversion easier. Um, We have a massive residential housing shortage in this country. And it's like, it's not shocking, right? I was born in 1976. There were 4 billion of us on the planet. Now there are eight. We didn't really keep up with production. Um, So cities from Calgary, Calgary's got an amazing program. It's actually a great model. We can talk about that later. Um, California is trying to push out a, hey, like you've got a, you know, a short determination. You're not going through CEQA. You don't need to provide parking. Um, and we should talk about parking. Don't let me forget about that. Okay, because right, a, right. a lot of these buildings have um, standalone parking structures. And we can mm-hmm. talk about that there's upside there. Um, so we're seeing most states from a regulatory point of view say, yeah, we're going to figure out how to make this easier because we need the housing stock. And quite frankly, we need people in our downtowns. We mm. need bustling places that support Absolutely. tax revenues. Mm, uh, right. And if you're not commuting to it, well, geez, what if you could live here? And what if it could right. be a vibrant, vibrant downtown? So on the incentives, just really quick, I was actually on the phone yesterday with a client of ours um, who recently converted a smaller building in Michigan. It was an older office building, small footprint to multi and he had high ceilings in there so and, and small floor plates which i think are likely two things that are pretty important which mm-hmm. we can talk about yep. later but you know he was talking about the state incentives in in michigan and i don't expect you to be an expert on that but um you know where they were g- gonna um incentivize on a per unit basis the conversion so maybe walk through kelly like what are like the top couple of things you're seeing in different markets, you know, from the clients yeah. you have? Is it that type of thing or tax incentives or? Um, yeah, so it's everything from cash to tax rebates. Um, mm-hmm. So, and by the way, we can share with you, we've got a pretty active database. I won't bore everyone, or maybe it would be happy for everyone just to read through it, um, but we can share a link to that that you're welcome to distribute um, mm-hmm. that we keep pretty active with. So I'll use Calgary as one into the spectrum. Calgary is saying, hey, we'll pay you. Um, cash when your conversion's done. So mm-hmm. we'll give you $15 a square foot up to $15 million. 
to get this done if you convert the building. They're also trying to attract higher ed, which is really important when we talk about multi-generational cities right. um, with a similar offer. If you come into an office building in this central core that is not performing, here's a path. They're also saying if it's not going to work, we'll incentivize you to tear it down. We'll give you so many dollars per square foot to go through the demolition. Um, they've coupled, and that's when you're done, by the way. So they're not funding you up front, but they're funding you on proof of product, which is a great idea. And the other part about it is the process is fast. You know, those of us who live in California, like CEQA um, is like an old friend that you just keep talking to. Yeah. And it's got some really great parts. And one of the things it struggles with is time. It takes a long time to get a deal done. So um, we're seeing a lot of states try to move the time card to say, hey, you'll have a determination in 90 days. Um, if you do a new tower in downtown L.A., you know, and you're trying to entitle it, that's a year to 18 months. Um, easy. Mm -hmm. easy. So time is a big factor. We're seeing per unit incentivization for tax credits. Um, and we're seeing some other vehicles try to be put forward. Um, there's some other pieces to it, too. We're seeing some requests for inclusionary. If you want to go fast, bring on more inclusionary housing. Help us solve um, low-income or very low-income housing as part of your solution. Great. That's great. That, uh, very good. Um, I have another question, unless you... No, I'm good. So, so talk a little bit about um, ESG. And, you know, it's kind of an apropos topic. And I know... Um, you know, David, I would like to ask you some questions at the end, maybe about some, you know, ESG related financing right. mechanisms, et cetera. But let's talk about that here first. With, with yeah, in how include, yeah, inclusionary policies and things like that. Yeah, inclusionary policies. Um, great. But let's talk about carbon because we all are getting a lot more serious about carbon. And the building industry is a big um, reason we have a big carbon discussion to have, right? So one of the things that converting these buildings does is it takes CO2 equivalents out. We're not we're not tearing concrete down to put concrete in. And you know if we're talking about a um, like a 12-story conversion project, it's a million and a half kilograms of CO2. Right, which if you have to envision that, that's doing like an around the world trip a hundred times. Mm -hmm. So, like that's a lot of carbon. Uh, and for cities who are really saying, "Wow, how do I how do I get in front of?" or investors who are saying, "I've got an ESG commitment." Right. A lot of these projects are ripe for conversion um, mm -hmm. because they can help you meet that. The other things we're doing with most of them is we're improving their overall energy efficiency. You know, especially for people who are in New York who are looking at the local laws that say, hey, you have to meet this energy criteria or we're gonna fine you if your building doesn't perform. Conversion's a great way for us to upgrade that system and upgrade that facade. I like it, got it, got it. Um, maybe we should talk about like ideal candidates and let's go into the physical, the, physical, the floor plates, walkability, building materials, maybe you know, there's 80s built, 50s built, 2000s. Maybe we can talk about why these buildings are um, falling out of favor a little bit. Yep. And what we're finding is, you know, our, our firm, and we're very, very um, privileged to do the work. We do a lot of tenant side work. Um, mm -hmm. We help people design buildings and campuses 
that help you know make their teams more productive, more engaged, more creative, um, really build camaraderie in the workplace. And there's a conversation on quality that seems to be pushing and evolving in office space, and it got accelerated through the pandemic. So um, much like spending on your home was the number one uh, consumer spend during the pandemic, home improvement, a lot of people realized the places that they lived maybe weren't the best, um, but they weren't there a lot before the pandemic, so they weren't as aware. The same thing holds true for the office. So office spaces that are well amenitized, that have great natural light, um, in many cases, access to fresh air, start to separate the vintage of the buildings. And a lot of what we're seeing now is this kind of postmodern crop of buildings. Um, there are thousands of them across the country, um, more thousands of them if you go throughout North America. They're about 20 to 40 years old. Now, we've already done a lot of the neoclassical mid-century conversions. Those were happening in the 80s and 90s, post-war mm-hmm. buildings, nice narrow floor plates, lots of operable windows. But now we're seeing the influx of buildings that really came to be with air conditioning, right? right? Suddenly we had air conditioning, we were putting glass curtain walls and we could make floor plates deeper. Um, and they're a little bit different of a challenge because they don't have all of that operability, but yep. they're actually a great opportunity. So we'll kind of go we'll kind of go through um, some things. And if people have a background in office, um, the first thing I like to remind them is when you lease an office building, you lease the whole thing. You mm-hmm. lease the core, you lease everything. <laughs> Residential right. sees the world a little bit differently. Right. Um, we lease the places where you reside. The right. amenities, the corridors, the elevators, those are all common areas. Um, and they usually speak to the value of what right. you're paying, right? The level of quality, but you pay for what's behind your door. So um, very often, I think the first panic look we get is, well, this building used to be 100% efficient. And now you're telling me it's 80% efficient. Um, and that's a ground up office building by the or ground up residential building, by the way, is about 80, 82, 83 yep. percent um, efficiency as we like to get in most of the conversions that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. You're somewhere between I know the slide says 75, but you're somewhere between you know 65 and 80. And it really depends on the core, how many elevators are in it, how big it is, um, where the elevators are located and what's that going to mean to how you access units. Sure. We will tell people just to start with 850 square feet a unit. It's a great size, um, simple to do. You can assume your residential amenities live on the ground floor. And then um, when it comes to parking it, and this is really important, park like one, one and a half per unit, one per bed. Um, mm-hmm. Or if you're in San Francisco, don't park at all, right? Because um, they're not car culture as much as they are mass transit culture. So as you're looking at the properties, you've suddenly got a huge bank of parking available um, because office buildings typically park at three per thousand, four per thousand. Um, for anybody who's in LA, if you look at downtown LA, it's actually a great example. There are a lot of standalone office towers that have parking garages that serve them right next door. Um, think of those parking garages as found land because mm-hmm. if you can convert the office asset and you can right size the parking, you now have area to play with to potentially bring up a new tower, um, which is pretty fantastic. So it's not just about reinvigorating the properties that we have, but really having the potential for more land sites than currently exist in a lot of our lot of our major metros. 
Got it. Um, we get asked this too. How big should the project be? There's a lot of large office buildings out there. And sure. typically a great deal is about 300 to 350 units. Um, you kind of ground up residential product. Typically underwrites really well for that because if you lease six to seven units a week, 52 weeks a year, you've leased up the building before you're in release. And that way you're not leasing against yourself. Right. Now, right. For, go ahead. You're not leasing dirt while yeah. you're old, while your first tenants are still yeah. rolling. So, so on the smaller units though, these smaller buildings, um, is the fixed cost of architecture and design and uh, entitlement considerations, legal, et cetera, is that the main driver of the loss of efficiency on the smaller end or? Yeah, well, let me show you, because some of the smaller end buildings are more efficient and we'll we'll see why in a second, because they don't have these monster elevator cores. Got it. Or suddenly you've got, you know, your high rise bank, your mid rise bank and your low yeah. rise bank. Smaller building, you might have two elevators. Yeah. And that's great. And you can set it up to be hyper efficient. Got it. Um, we have found that the sweet spot's somewhere between a 350 to a half, half a million square feet um, mm -hmm. on the deal side to stay within that range. We're also helping clients look through buildings that are larger. And sometimes that conversation is, well, let's convert half the building or 70% or 30% of the building. Yep. And if it goes well, we can continue the conversion, right. right? And as our lease rule changes, we can continue the conversion. Generally speaking, when you have that happening, are you just are, are you have enough floors that are in a block that can be converted and it makes sense or or are you trying to move tenants up and down the building? Uh, it depends on what you it depends on what you've got. Um, so we usually get a rent roll from everybody. Hey, this is this is who we have. This is when their leases expire. Um, in many cases, we can identify a pretty healthy block and you either want to be at the top of the building or the bottom of the building. Sure. Right. You don't want to try to do this in the middle. I'll be very right. honest. It's it's harder. Um, and we like to get a floor of separation in there because typically we're upgrading like fire life safety systems. Right. What How we did in the, work 80s. in the lobby, like if you've got the building split like that and you have people that are office tenants and then you have screaming children. You know, yeah. How does that? Uh, you can you can split them pretty cleanly. Um, generally speaking, a lot of office product, they have pretty grand lobbies because they had to address so, all these right. multiple banks of elevators. Like high ceilings. Yep. yep. And we can partition them off and deliver a great experience for everyone. Got it. That's great. Got it. Got it. And then that original space acts as a feasibility study for future space. I exactly. Think the financing will like it. Yeah, you can you can say, hey, proof of concept. Right. Um, so I, I figured I'd give you guys some things to look out for. We'd like to sure. you know, kind of say, hey, if if one rolls by your desk and you want a set of eyes on it, um, feel free to give us a call at Gensler. We'll always take a we'll always give it a squint test before we go a lot uh, deeper. But there's kind of five main things we look at site, building form, what's your floor plate look like, what's your envelope made mm -hmm. of and how are you going to service this thing? Yep, so. Right. The big thing we tell everybody, that office in a great location generally makes great residential um, because they're typically really walkable. They've got great access to transit. Um, we typically have four-sided exposure. Mm -hmm. So we're getting natural light all the way around. And honestly, some of the best views in our cities are sitting in office buildings. Yes. 
Um, building form matters. So, you know, if you're looking at, um, if you're looking at a simple rectangle or you're looking at something with lots of ins and outs and turns, the question becomes, well, how easy is it to plan a unit? Can we efficiently plan a mix that makes sense um, with the building shape and maintain that efficiency in the floor area? Um, floor plates. So what's your, how, how deep is it? <laughs> Probably the first thing we ask, how deep is it? Yep. Um, your traditional residential unit, 30, 35 feet deep, maybe 40, yep. um, because you've got bedrooms, right? You've got bedrooms, living space, kitchens, they all want natural light. And so you'll find some of these buildings, we're looking at 60 feet of depth, wow. right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so then we get more creative. Like if it's the right building and it's the right basis and we can we can take it forward, we start to look at some interesting things like borrowed light, two bedrooms, yep. or maybe one bedroom's on the glass line, one bedroom's tucked back like a den. Mm -hmm. um, there's some creative things we can do there. We'll see if it elevators enough. Great um, rule of thumb is you know every 75 units have a have an elevator. We usually just say 150, have two, and then for mm -hmm. every 75, add one. That way you have a service lift. Um, window, what the exterior is, and this this is important for anybody who's going through and kind of trying to value the building. Office floor to floors are traditionally higher than residential floor to floors. You're 13 six, you're 15 feet, you're higher. Residential right, floor right. to floor, 10 foot, nine nine ten. Um, so it's great in terms of what a resident will get in terms of volume of their space. It also means that we're probably looking at curtain wall, not window wall on the exterior, mm -hmm. um, because window wall maxes out. And mm -hmm. then we're kind of, if we're still using window wall, we're paying for curtain wall anyways. Um, so kind of the, the variables that we'll look through, you know, sometimes if the building's too deep, we can push that facade back and create great outdoor living space if it's in the right yeah, climate. Right. In Los Angeles, this place, not, not as expensive as you would think. Um, it's just a question of how you look at leasing your unit. So, so on the mechanical system side, though, I mean, you know, like in our office here, we have some space and I think the temperature is difficult to regulate. I mean, it, it is set, right? And those guys over there and the other suite on the other side, I don't know if they have much variability over us. So, you know, how does that work in the context of a residential conversion? Right, well, let, let's talk about what you're control. keeping. Let's talk about what you're keeping. So if you have if you have one of these assets or you're buying one of them, yeah. my fundamental advice to everybody is assume you're keeping the structure. That's it, right, yeah. I'll start there, start there, and then everything else is like it's icing if you get it. Um, your, your mechanical systems are probably a few code cycles out of date. Yep. And so mm -hmm. if you're in the great state of California, you've got to come back and meet title 24. Mm -hmm. Um, not only that, but you have to build a product that can compete at market rate residential. So right. in my right. home, I don't really want my neighbor deciding if I'm having a hot day or a cold day. I have to have individual right. systems, individual controls. Right. So um, typically we're either upgrading or changing out MEP systems for something more efficient. Yeah. And um, actually we're gaining some space and we'll see that in an example. Hmm. We're typically gaining where we've had the, um, the large chillers on the rooftop. We're gaining that space back and we're turning it into amenities. Got it. On the, 
building skin, it's a bit of the same conversation. Um, if you've got a great building skin and it's largely, you know, floor to ceiling glass, maybe that's great. And we're going to put in a few operable windows. Maybe we're not going to put in any operable windows. But if you've got a building that's got a ribbon window around it, right, a solid, and then the windows sit up off the floor, maybe that's not going to feel so great um, right. to be right. converted. It won't be so competitive. So uh, we also find asbestos in a lot of those. And it's hard to sure. think that asbestos is still trailing around, but it is. Um, and so very often we're spending, you know, our clients are talking to contractors and we're saying, yep, we're going to spend 50 bucks to take the 50 bucks a square foot to take the facade off. And then we're going to go wow. spend 90 bucks to build a new one. Um, that'll get to why only so many of these are going. And right. then I think the big thing is, you know, we write amenities, but the actual question is how do we deliver the right residential experience for you? Um, how do we chain that together? So let me just kind of click through here. Um, now, are you talking there about like common area amenities, maybe on the second area. and third floor? Gyms, yep. yeah, dog. Um, right. Gyms, dog, great room, co-work. Um, co-work spaces are seeing a resurgence mm -hmm. in multifamily for obvious reasons. Yep. If we're not going to right. the office, we've, we're doing it somewhere, um, generally at home. And hopefully you've got a great place at your home to do it from if that's what you're up to. But um, we're seeing those go through the, the whole gauntlet of what amenities can be. We've got spin rooms, um, kind of anything you can imagine that builds that experience correctly. Um, if we do a study for you, by the way, this is what it looks like. So you get a, a nice scorecard at the end of the day. It'll actually benchmark right. your building um, against anything in our database. And it'll say, hey, like, here's your vacancy rate. Here's your convertible area. Here's what's going really well for it. Here's what's a little bit of a challenge. Interesting. And you can, you can see it in the floor plane. So like a rectangular center core building, generally yep. speaking, does really well because it lays out like a traditional residential building. Right. right. Super simple, right? Units units run around the core. Um, everybody knows how to, to function in it. And it's fantastic. Uh, sure. You get a nice 30 to 40 feet on that window, window wall depth ratio. Right. Um, and it's a mover. I don't have the plate in here, but like an atypical floor plate like this building, yeah. it's got a lot of ins and outs. So right. it's just frankly, it's not as efficient. Um, and so we, you know, when we say like three out of every 10, the more creative the building shape was as an office building. <laughs> the worse it is. But maybe, like yeah. it depends, but maybe. Um, if you guys like, I'd love to take you through an example um, that, that we did with PMC in Philly. So this is Franklin Tower. What's the conversion score? This is your internal kind of. This is our this is our internal tool. Um, yeah. Actually gave it a seventy six percent, which by the way sounds low, but it's really really good because a hundred percent means it was basically designed as a residential building. Sure. Right. right so right. don't let seventy six percent scare you. It's so a good the thing. The bar is low there. Right. <laughs> the bar is a little low. Like you, if you're getting yeah. to a hundred. Somebody had a lot of foresight. Right, um, right. So here's a here's a look, by the way, at their rooftop. What happened when we regained all the space for the chiller? Uh -huh. um, we built out um, extra oh, space. because you're saying all the unit, you went unit by unit for that. Yeah. All, okay. Yep. So every, the, the mechanical, frankly, is just a lot smaller and a lot of it sure. sits in the unit. Sure. So we gained a rooftop back. That's awesome. And we were able to build out this great gym, great room, entertainment mm -hmm. center oh. on top of the building. 
interesting. Yeah, it's a, uh, and by the way, this is what it looked like before. So this yeah. is, this is exactly what I was talking about. This is a ribbon window system. It sat on precast panels. Um, not the most inviting building, by the way, at the ground right, floor. Right. Lots of, I love brutalism, a little brutal. Right. Uh, but this is one Franklin Plaza in Philly. And when we first started working on it, they said, hey, here's the idea. We're going to take the top of the building and convert it. Yeah. Um, but we want to keep office. So don't convert the bottom. We'll upgrade the facade. Yep. Um, you know, we'll get our systems to play well together, but design it for an office building. So you can actually see here in the diagram that the balcony stopped on the lower levels right. of the building because, well, office building didn't really need them and they wanted the efficiency. Um, midway through construction, they said, actually, just keep going. Our pre-lease is going well. Um, we don't see the office market being as strong. So this building converted right. 100%. Now, um, it's a large, it's a mix of a lot of one bedrooms and a few twos. So that's yeah. what we're looking at. That's the blue versus the pink. Sure. Um, we've got balconies out to the side, but you can see the the office core coming through, mm -hmm. right? There was probably right. a big air handler in here that distributed mm -hmm. everything out to a VAV box. What we've done with those spaces, oh, and sorry, this is some more of that rooftop. The rooftop's amazing. It's awesome. Um, it just great. to be able to have access to this, it's, yeah, it's killer. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, but this is what happened in the core. So oh, we wow. took we took all of those weird kind of, what are you going to do? It's in the middle of an elevator right. bank. No windows. No windows. And we said, well, what are the awesome experiences you can deliver without windows? Sure. So there's a spin room. If you want to feel like you're at Peloton Studios, but you're in your building, you go down to the spin room. Co-work, theater, dog wash. Um, the theater looks cool. The theater is awesome. Like game day, it's amazing. Um, right. bike room, right. bike room, great gym, um, personal training suites, kind of a, a kid's playroom. So the, the screaming kid who comes in through the lobby, there's a place for him to play too. So you can right. appeal to a wider demographic and let's not forget, you've got really nice high floor to floors. This is at the ground level. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a gym in here. There's a full on basketball court. You're activating the core and yep. for even though it's not net rentable, it's an amenity that's going to jack up your net net rentable rent because yep. it's part of the experience. Yeah, it's accreted value. So there are great yeah, ways, freedom. great ways to bring. Um, so all I have in here, you have great ways to bring bring those spaces to life. And uh, I'd like to add. So I noticed in some of your slides, you know, it's not all about um, re residential. What are the other uses I saw? School, hotel, higher education. Um, yeah. Higher education is starting to look at these spaces. Um, you know, what can we convert? We just did um, the Herald Examiner converted for ASU in downtown LA. Great right. project if you haven't been through it. Uh, but we're trying to get more higher ed into uh, central business districts. Hotels. Yeah, interesting. We're seeing travel come back, sure. right? Business mm -hmm. travel is up. Um, and hotels are kind of coming back up as a result. So yes. they convert really well for hotel space. You can run a hotel key a little bit deeper, right? Sure. And a little bit narrower so you can get a lot more yield out of that. Yeah. So, I'd say those are so, kind of the two biggies that we're converting to. So let me yeah. kind of summarize a couple of things mm -hmm. and then let's, let's switch over and ask David a few questions. So the biggest thing that stuck out to me Again, a lot of George Smith Partners clients are developers, sponsors, real estate sponsors, private equity folks. A lot of these guys are going to be 
and, and gals will be looking at buildings to buy. And, and what stuck out with me is you said, start with, um, assume that you're only buying the shelf. Yep. And that everything else comes out and add back from there. I think that was really wise advice because, you know, we see a lot of deals from folks and, you know, questionable, you know, oh, we're going to keep this, we're going to keep that, we're going to do this. What you're selling us is that bottom line, if you're going to do one of these conversions, you're probably not keeping anything. Well, you might, but um, generally speaking, you're going to know that after you have your deal done. And right, right, right. Yeah, I think you said so it's cautious, like peeling. It's saying. like peeling an onion. You don't know what you're going to find in the wall. We know you're taking the walls out. Right. We know right. you're taking the MEP systems out, like your um, your electrical vault. That equipment might be valid, but right. your your mechanical and plumbing systems sure aren't. And yep. the facade's a bit of a question mark, depending on yep. how it can perform. So, um, it's. Tough news if that's the if that's the asset you're holding, but start there because there are things we can do design-wise and code-wise to build upon that and go get value out of the rest of those pieces, especially around the envelope. Um, I should be really clear on that the envelope's not like an all for naught, but we might be going through a performance-based design exercise to be able to retain that value, right? And say, okay, we're gonna use this type of system because it works with this type of glass and it'll deliver this energy performance. Interesting, that's that's great. Um, all right, let's talk, let's shift gears just for a few minutes here and, and talk about like, give us some thoughts on financing this. Right, you, right. You've been here for 30 plus years or whatever and you've financed everything under the sun. Or um, try to. Or try to. <laughs> well, I'd like to, so, you know, the, you know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, basically, let's call it what it is, you know, redlining of office right now. We heard of a bank just announcing today, we're not underwriting any more office properties. So the first magic that you're bringing to it is you're telling the bank officer, I'm not, you're not telling them I'm buying an office. You're telling them you're buying a multifamily development site. All of a sudden, that's the most favored product type, a multifamily, uh, you know, along with industrial. So then you then we start talking about multifamily financing. And so you get into the old, uh, you know, the, just the 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 um, the basics on multifamily. Let's start with what, you know, with what Kensler brings to the table, you know, feasibility study. The lenders want to see feasibility. They want to see a, you know, the lenders always want what I call the magic comp. They want a comparable property, but it's not too close to your property, so it cannibalizes, but it gives them comfort that the business plan has, has validity. So a lot of times you'll see at the beginning in a certain market, lenders often don't want to finance the pioneer. Sometimes that's a tough thing, like the first person, then, you know, let's call it Market Street South or whatever in San Francisco, they want that first person to be successful, then use that as a comp for the next three. So a lot of it is creating critical mass in these markets so that lenders can do what they do best, which is follow because debt is not paid enough to be, you know, to be, you know, oh, foreshadowing. So what about equity? Like, so equity is, I mean, they're, you know, if you're the first one in to a good submarket, that's where the biggest returns are going to be. So equity could be looking for to be a little more um, entrepreneurial here and take a little bit more risk 
you know, of course, with the right debt. Maybe they have a sponsor that can sign recourse and go into a heretofore unknown market and make a big score. And I would say that, you know, other aspects of kind of what I call the nuts and bolts of the financing is you're going to get into, you know, what we've been talking about, what, what's in the walls. Instead of just building, we're now doing a conversion. There could be asbestos. So you might see lenders relying on consultants like hardcore construction consultants, you know, walking through and maybe knocking through a couple walls on the first floor and looking, trying to get an idea of how much this is going to cost. Maybe you're going to get a lender. The lenders at the beginning might want a little bit bigger contingency, but and they're going to underwrite off the old standards, which is what is a fully leased multifamily property going to sell or be refinanced for? Because that's how they're going to calculate their loan amount. And, and a lot of that, again, is going to depend on some market assumptions. And they're also going to you know, be working on the old loan to cost metrics and, you know, interest rates aren't, you know, aren't ideal right now, but, you know, there are uh, development loans getting done. So talk about a couple of specialty finance items that might be available to retrofits like this. Well, you, there's things like uh, PACE financing. So PACE financing, and we saw the first PACE uh, groups come in. I think California was one of the first uh, groups to start PACE about seven or eight years ago. Now it's very common. And since it it's energy efficiency and could lead to tax credit for LEED certified buildings, you know, PACE is a great element for these conversions. You know, lenders have grown very comfortable with PACE and it can take the place of maybe an equity slug. You know, then there's, you know, obviously mezzanine and, you know, preferred equity structures along with debt and pace that can you know create a, a a workable cap stack so if i'm a real estate sponsor and i want to take on one of these projects this is like a, a pretty big box to unwrap right mm -hmm. I, i'm assuming that the private equity guys out there are going to be looking for folks with experience in right. retrofitting buildings etc and also multifamily. Mm -hmm. so you really want multifamily management experience you know someone who's not an office person a multifamily person and multifamily high rise is a little bit different than your low rise suburban multifamily that we all think of as apartment complex. So, so before kicking tires on a project and trying to bring it into the capital markets, based on this conversation with Kelly here, it sounds like if I'm a sponsor, I'm going to want to do a lot more due diligence a lot, and probably yes. work with an architect early on compared to, you know, if I, if, if, if I have a shop that does, you know, a couple thousand units a year of value add multi across a bunch of different markets. Now I think I'm going to jump into, you know, office to multi conversion. It's a whole, it's the, 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 the leap is pretty large. So. You want to build the team. You want to have a feasibility study, a property manager who manage who can do a real budget. You want a good mortgage banker here at George Smith <laughs> partners. You want someone, you know, it's kind of preceding out there with lenders you know, talking about different, you know, how much this is going to rep for what the takeout loan is going to look like. Right. So we can, you know, have capital ready. Got it. You know, well, that's really cool. Kelly, any parting words of wisdom to folks, you know, that are things that you forgot to tell us and that, you know, 
I don't think we forgot. There's more. Um, and oh, what sure. I would say is if you've got a if you've got a great opportunity, give us a call. We'll put the yeah. right team together on the design side. Yeah. You know, how we look at the structure and the MEP and all the fire life safety. Um, we'd be happy to get involved in any of those and really help bring them to life. Great. Okay. Thank you for coming on today. It was great. Ah, thanks for having me. Thank you, Kelly. All right. We'll see you.